Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgieff, class of 2022. Today, I catch up with the class of 2013's Ahmad Asani, publicist at Pitch Perfect. Ahmad will share with us how he combined his love of music with an incredible intuition for networking, and now it has him working in promotion with some of the most exciting and fresh musical talent in the industry. Joining us from the class of 2013, Ahmad Asani. Ahmad, what do you do? I am a music publicist. So how did you get into the music industry? Well... I would say it always starts with just being a fan, you know, um, and uh, just enjoying music in your free time. And then I realized that it was something um, I wanted to do if I could get a, you know, make a job out of it. But I just, you know, I didn't quite know how. So when um, when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to work in music, but I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. So I just tried to get my options open and just, you know keep myself in the music sphere however I could. And then I kind of just stumbled into this job when I was in college and I've been doing it since. How did like, how do you begin like the hovering process and kind of like poke around? Like, what is it? What does that look like? So for me, it was again, being a fan first and foremost, first and foremost, and just exposing myself to music however I could. So whether it was like going to record stores or going to shows and just trying to create a network, a network for myself, um, you know, and then um, doing more internship opportunities and just kind of trying to figure out at different, you know, music venues and like rehearsal spaces and trying to figure out like, what do I like and what do I think I'm good at? And then, um, and also just, I got a little lucky. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of how it happened, yeah. Well, you know, networking seems to make luck more likely to happen, I'm sure. Yes, so yes. Uh, I, I, if we can go, maybe just rewind a little bit, could you yeah. tell me like what was the what was like the first live show that you became so enamored with the just the the energy and the the, the just the enchantment of the whole live experience that made you want to be part of it, like make this part of your pursuit as a career? Yeah, so, well, I guess it goes back to being a band kid, <laughs> band geek, if you will. I was always just, you know, I was always playing instruments, and um, even though, you know, it wasn't always considered the coolest thing, it was just something that, you know, I gravitated towards and what I wanted to do. But I guess the more, um, like, a real answer was uh, me and my brother were really big Weezer fans, and so... We like begged our, our mom to get us a ticket to go see Weezer. And I remember that being a moment where I was like, oh man, I want to like be, you know, do something with this. Um, um, be Have music be a part of my life however it can. So that's kind of how it started. So you knew when you left West Chicago that you probably wanted to go to, you wanted to be in a city that was proximal to live music. Uh, where did you end up going to, to college? So I ended up going to DePaul University. I, I, like you said, I knew I wanted to be in a city, um, you know, that had, uh, you know, access to music and that kind of stuff going on. I applied to like some other 
places outside of Chicago, but I think my heart always knew I would end up, you know, in Chicago. And also it was in my backyard, you know, um, I wasn't too far from the suburbs and I had, I would go to Chicago to go see concerts all the time. I like distinctly, I remember like leaving class at uh, West Chicago, hopping on a train from the, from the uh, West Chicago station, going into the city to see a concert coming back at like two in the morning and then getting up at seven in the morning to be at like zero hour or something like that the next day. So I was just always in and out of the city and I knew it pretty well and I knew I would have, you know, an opportunity to, to find more concerts and, you know, music stuff with I thought was Chicago. So when you were, in, I mean, what a, an amazing opportunity. And, and you're also reminding me like how nice it was to be young, to be able to rubber band back from yes, <laughs> I, something like that. Like I can't do it as well. Too. Yeah. I can't do this as well anymore. So I agree. Oh yes. We went. Um, uh, but you know, being in the city at DePaul, I mean, what an amazing opportunity. What were some of your favorite venues, uh, to go to and what were some of your hidden gems? So my favorite was probably, um, I have a soft spot for Metro. Um, I, I used, I ended up working there after throughout school and after school, I had an internship there as well. And it's just like got such a rich history. It's been around, I think for 40 years now and like any band ever has played there. And also me being a fan of like eighties and nineties music, it was just great to you know, see the old posters on the walls of like bands I love that I play there and just like hearing those stories and kind of just being feeling close to that history was always really exciting to me. And Metro also has this club called Smart Bar, which is also a really big deal and kind of like a place where house music got really popular. And so that was always cool to be around. Um, and then for like a hidden gem, honestly, I love going to house shows. I mean, it, they're, they're, they were harder to find you know, as, as my time progressed, but like house shows and like basements is like where you meet like-minded individuals. And it's such a great way to connect with people and discover uh, new music. Were you ever starstruck by anyone that you've seen while you were at the Metro? Yeah, actually, I remember I have a couple of stories. One was, um, he kind of dabbles in music, but he's more, um, an actor, uh, Michael Shannon, uh, that was really interesting. And it's been interesting to hear how music is such a big deal for him. And, you know, he's in, he's in like cover bands and stuff and he uses his star power to like do music things, which I think is really cool. And then another one was Billy Corgan from Snatching Pumpkins. I was just like working at the guest list. I had my head down and somebody like tapped my shoulder and I looked up and it was Billy Corgan. I was like, whoa, <laughs> it's so weird. So just, yeah, stuff like that. Um, I bumped into... Eddie Vedder once that was interesting um yeah it, it was some just cool to be around people like that you've been around music for so long and I was wondering like have you developed kind of an eye to see like this band has you know the proverbial it you know like what, what like have you kind of developed that kind of instinct to know like yeah they're gonna do that that, that this is gonna be something that's gonna transcend uh, have you have you ever like hit on one of those like where like I I can totally see this band on the way up? Uh, what was like one of your uh, kind of instinctual uh, kind of uh, pattern recognition of that? Hmm, I like to think I have it. I think a lot of people in music 
like to think they have it. And I think I do have like a good ear, you know, but I think if I had it, I would be, you know, I think it's something you work on and, you know, you have to take a chance and also help these artists kind of develop like that. Um, but I also think if I actually had it, I'd be making a lot more money. So, <laughs> you know, I think people are always chasing that. But no, I do think that like, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't, I didn't have a good ear or something, you know? Um, I don't know if there's like an example, like a specific example, but like, you know, a part of my job is, you know, trying to think like that and being finding a band that, you know, a lot of people might not know and like hearing it and being like, wait a minute, like, I think this could be the next big thing or maybe not the next big thing, but like there is an audience for this. Uh, maybe not the next like Olivia Rodrigo or something like that, but maybe something smaller. And like, if there's any way I can help them reach an audience, like that's my job. And that is a part of my job is having that kind of like outlook and that ear and like being able to be like, okay, I want to take a chance on this artist or this band. So I guess we can kind of get, get into it like right now. Um, yeah. I still want to talk about like uh, your DePaul days as well. Yeah. But, like, I'm curious, like, so how much would you say is, are you the hunter where you're out there kind of trying to find these gems uh, that are out there uh, as talent or as bands and, and all that versus how much of it actually gets kind of brought to you because, uh, because of their uh, manager and, and all of that. Like what's, what's the kind of the balance between what you find versus what uh, ultimately uh, kind of gets uh, kind of presented to you. I'd say it's half and half. I mean, a part of it is like, putting yourself out there and looking for new things because you want to work on things that are, you know, exciting or that excite you. Um, but another half, the other half is, yeah, we, we, I get like a ton of demos, but again, I'm like going through these demos. Um, and like, I still have to listen to them and kind of have that a moment of like, do I think they have it or do they not? So there's still a bit of a selective process when things are coming my way, but I do get a lot of demos sent to me. Obviously it's great to have like like managers that you trust being like, Hey, here's a new artist I have. Like, I'd love for you to check them out. Like I, you know, if I work with someone and I, they have another act, like, of course I'm going to go out of my way to listen to them because, you know, there's that established connection, but you know, there's always that exciting moment of like going out to a, a concert and like you go catch the opening band that maybe you didn't plan to go see, but you like got there early and was like, wait a minute, this is amazing. Like who's working with this person and then trying to figure out, you know, if you can get to it first is kind of a, can be exciting. Right, so let's go back to then um, uh, your, your time at DePaul. Yeah. Uh, so you said that you had a really, I mean, that sounds like an amazing, amazing job where mm -hmm. you're working at the Metro and all that. But what was like your coursework like? What was, what was, uh, what was that? Uh, what was your major and, and what did you do? Yeah. For so um, DePaul didn't have like, when I started, they didn't have like, like a music business kind of like major or minor minor. So I just wanted to keep my options open. Like I knew I wanted to work in music, but I was like, you know, if in case it doesn't work out, let me have kind of a broad degree and like, you know, I can work in something else if I need to. So I majored in communications and media and, um, I ended up having three minors. I, I don't know how I made that happen, but I did. I got, um, marketing public relations and then by the time i was graduating they added music business as a minor so i got that um so that worked out well but yeah it was more like keeping my options broad i always had music in mind and would try and relate my work to that but i was also just like 
you know, wanting to take in as much knowledge as I could, because obviously I was paying a ton of money and I asked to pay a lot of money for it. But um, yeah, uh, I just tried to, whatever work I did, I always had music business and music on my brain. I, you had to be bold to seek out some of these opportunities because you just said that they didn't have really the major until like your senior year. Yeah. How did you go about um, creating, because you had also mentioned before that networking was really important. I, I was wondering if you could describe like how you kn knew where to go and how did you have you know the courage to knock on certain doors and how did that lead to other uh, opportunities while you were at DePaul? Well, I will say it started, um, I was in this group called the DePaul Music Business Organization and that was a big, like a really big deal for me because obviously I was around other people that wanted to work in music uh, at DePaul, but they were the ones that, you know, invited me to uh, a career fair, which is where I ended up getting my first internship, which was at this place called the Music Garage, which was like a rehearsal space. And then my job at the Music Garage was um, venue relations. So I was networking with all these venues around the city. And then that's how I kind of got my foot in the door in Chicago. So it was just kind of like a domino effect of just like, I, you know, I, I seeked out an opportunity, which led to another one, which led to another one. And then it obviously ended up to where I am today. What was your, your first job then, uh, out of DePaul? So I was still working like retail just to like pay my bills, but I actually had an internship for where I'm working now. So I was interning there a couple of times a week. Cause I just, you know, I knew it wasn't, it wasn't paying anything, but I, I knew it was something I wanted to be around. Um, and then I was just working retail and at the Metro just to make ends meet until I got offered a full-time position uh, at my job now. So where do you work now? So now I work at Pitch Perfect PR. Um, I started as an intern um, and then I moved up to my first job there was like a admin assistant. So I was just helping the other publicists, um, you know, keep track of, you know, helping with their press reports, compiling those press reports, you know, updating our website, you know, that kind of stuff, very easy computer work. But it was just exciting to be, like, you know, around these publicists and learning what they actually do and kind of getting a, a look behind all of that. Then I moved up to tour publicists, which, you know, meant I was pitching um, the artists we work with, you know, I was pitching like local papers, like Chicago Tribune example, or like the Chicago Reader. And I was pitching those writers on like a certain artist that was coming to town, like being, hey, you should do a review of the show or preview the show so your readers know about it kind of thing. So then I started, that's how it was like my first publicity job. Then um, I moved up to where I am now, which is a national publicist. So that means I, I'm helping with like album campaigns as opposed to tour press and like tour campaigns. And yeah, so that's where I am now. Um, as, as, what a... What a cool story. It's like, you know, you, you begin in the mailroom and then you make yes. your way all the way up to the top, you know. Because I'm not at the top yet, but uh, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting yeah, there. You're getting there, but that's yeah. So cool. I mean, like, I mean, you really kind of, I mean, honestly, like, you know, the business inside and out and they, what an incredible uh, uh, opportunity. So, okay. So you were then a, a tour publicist. Yes. Um, so what was, what did you learn like most about how to kind of like, take from like take well, let me back up a little bit so make sure i understand what it is yes. that 
how how do you onboard a client that comes to your particular company? What's that negotiation like, and what do you what services do you provide them? And then uh, and then what then take it from there. Yeah. So what happens? You know, a label or a manager will come up to us and be like, "Hey, I have this artist, and they're putting out this album," um, and we work pretty far ahead. Like sometimes we work like a year in advance. You know, we know what albums we're working on. Um, our artists we're going to work with but you know they approach us with an album or like a ep if you will and we'll be like hey like we want you to work on this and you know generate press for this release and so we we work on a timeline and we're like okay when are we going to announce this um what singles are we going to put out uh when is the album coming out and then um if they're touring you know we want to continue the conversation of like keeping a band in the conversation and so that can help uh, tour press can help with that. You know, once an album is up with the bands on the road, like you obviously want people to come see the show or hear the album live. So we kind of think of like the, the full spectrum or like the full campaign, if you will, um, the full cycle, we try to, you know, envision what can we do to like keep the artists in the conversation the whole, the whole time. So a couple of follow up questions uh, yeah. that is, so you have to manage uh, a digital presence just in the, the sale of their, let's say, MP3 or their streaming in such a way. But then there's also like the physical, which is like maybe it's literally the vinyl. Uh, mm-hmm. I would assume vinyl is probably outselling CDs if they even do that anymore, right? Yeah, yeah no, so, it is. Like, I was wondering, like, how do you how do you find how do you know where to put more? Uh, energy and bandwidth into when it comes to the actual sale or streaming uh, of what your artists uh, want? How do you, how do you gauge that? So actually I'm not as too concerned with, you know, how it's selling. I would say it's more of like a marketing thing. Obviously the artists I work with, I want their albums to sell well. And like, that's how I get, you know, they hire me if they're making money. So of course I want the artists to sell well, but like when I'm working with an artist, I don't have that in mind i'm more worried about getting helping tell their story about the album and then hopefully if the story is good enough and it gets coverage and people like it they'll go buy it um and also that's another it's a whole other can of worms is when you talk about like streaming and versus sales and like how a lot of people will just go stream an album instead of um you know buying an album so then my job is to help you know get people interested in an album and maybe they don't buy it but they'll go see the show kind of thing and so like that's a ticket sale or something like that or they'll go they love they don't buy the album but they stream it and they go to the show but they love the show so much that they buy a record at the merch table like that's what i'm trying to do is get people just to go see these bands or hear these uh, albums as opposed to buying it but obviously we want people to buy music it's really important you're right. Like the, the the actual physical sale of, a, yes. of an album is so much more than the streaming of it. You'll take the exactly. streaming, but you want that actual purchase. The margins yes. are so much better. Exactly. With it. So, uh, I'm really curious. You you're talking about how you get to like develop the story of mm-hmm. the album or the band. Um, yeah. what, what is that? What's that process like? Of like how you sit down with them and like how do you begin to kind of create that narrative of what will then be 
for their particular audience and what you're looking for. Obviously, I was your AP language teacher so many years ago, so yeah. that whole rhetorical triangle fascinates me. Uh, how, does, <laughs> how does that process uh, uh, unfold? Yeah, so um, I guess to back up a little bit on my end too, um, so like my job, I you know, to keep it easy, I tell people that, you know, uh, when they ask like, what is public relations? What do you do? And I kind of talk about it as in like, you know how um, if you love a band, you know, you'll just go up to someone and be like, hey, have you heard this band? Um, like you really need to check them out. I That's pretty much my job is I'm getting, trying to get people to check out music, um, you know, and uh, the narrative helps with that too. So um, we, we try, we approach the artist obviously and ask them, you know, like, what are you trying to say with this album? Like, how did it come together? Um, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we sit with them and like a manager and like a bio writer and, you know, they kind of tell us the story of how it came together or, you know, or what they're trying to say with this album. And then we have to craft a narrative out of that. Um, sometimes the albums we work with have like an amazing like narrative and like the features and reviews kind of like write themselves at that point. Other times there's like nothing there. So we have to try and think outside of the box or, you know, like how can we um, get people to care about this record, which, you know, isn't always easy. And, you know, sometimes there isn't a narrative, but it's, you know, just trying to figure out what part of it you can use to get people to check out this album. It's interesting. Cause like you're, you're getting so many various different, with cycles of the creative process where like maybe you're getting a, a band that is like right at their most creative <laughs> force of where they are. And then maybe you're getting a third album where maybe people are getting their own ideas and you have to find a way to thread the needles and kind of yes. make you know, that whole thing happen. So absolutely. I find that like a debut album is usually easier because the band's so new and like you can really set the stage. Whereas like, yeah, if you get to like the third or fourth album, people are like, okay, like, I don't care anymore. So try to get people to care and like, you know, are like getting the artists to like, you know, maybe pivot and like think and approach it in a different way. You know, it it can be interesting. Yeah, because like in that, you have to, it's easier to create pop when there's something that's novel and new. Mm -hmm. Uh, That fourth album, you know, there is a little bit of comfort like that the audience already knows them. So how how do you kind of create that? that energy that yes. I can see that, that I, I, that totally makes sense why that would be so much of a, of a challenge. Yes. Wow. Um, so, um, I, w- I was also wondering, like, you know, you've been in this for a while, like how has like the, the streaming been either a benefit or a kind of something that is like, it, it's there. And it, it like, I've heard both sides of like how it, it's might be beneficial to exposure, for the artist, but it may not also be the thing that helps kind of pay the bills for them uh, as well. Like how, how has the emergence of things like Spotify and streaming been something that has been uh, either a benefit or kind of also at the same time, a, uh, a, a struggle for you as you witness it, how artists deal with that? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think, I mean, I think about this every day. Um, it's such a big part of like my life and I don't, you know, I'm not like, I don't work at Spotify. I'm not like, you know, pitching them. That's like not my job, but like it does really impact all facets of the music industry. Um, the benefits I would say, and 
something uh, it speaks to me is that like it's such it's so easy and accessible to find and discover music uh, and especially for me when i was at west chicago in high school uh, like spotify had just come out so i was a early adapter of it obviously because i was like wanting to find ways to find new music and it was such like a eye-opening experience i could listen to like almost any album i wanted to um like I was discovering like bands from like the seventies and the eighties, like I would not have found had it not been Spotify and I could just click a button and the album was there. So it's such a great way to find music um, and not just new music, but old music, which I think is a really big part of working in music is knowing all kinds of music. Um, the bad part obviously is it's very oversaturated. There's too much music i would say and too much music on these streaming services now where it's like hard to get as like the spotlight on a certain artist you have to like really know like have connections to get like on a popular editorial playlist on spotify you know like that can make a big difference for a band but like if you don't have that connection or like you don't have someone pitching or like sometimes it's like payola like paying to get an artist on a certain playlist your band won't get those streams um and yeah and then at the end of the day it's like obviously these artists i mean this is a whole other conversation but these artists don't make money off streaming services unless you're like the one percent of like music like taylor swift or beyonce or something like that like you can make money off streaming but streaming is it really helps the the bigger fish not the smaller guys so yeah at the end of the day it it just it doesn't help artists and it's definitely like something that I think our industry is still navigating. So, yeah, it's, in it's interesting is it, how seemingly random it could be where like there's sometimes an artist breaks through because of unknown forces, but then yes. there are times when there are structures in place where people can put their thumb on the scale, like you said, Nicola mm -hmm. or any of these other, kind of scenarios and that's got to be really frustrating because not Absolutely. everyone has that kind of maybe deep pockets to support them to kind of make that mm -hmm. happen you're really yeah. trying to you know use the true organic way of kind of selling your artists in such a way that the, the public will appreciate them so yeah exactly. i can totally see that off now um so you how many years were you in chicago then so i was there for for about 10 years um i i went to um, I moved to the city pretty much like um, the summer after I graduated uh, high school. And then um, I enrolled at DePaul and I, I lived on campus and then I got an apartment off campus and I had just been there for 10 years. And then um, I hit the 10 year mark and was just like, I need to do something different. Um, and so I moved to a much bigger and more crazy city, uh, New York. And so that's where I am now. Well, what borough are you in? So... Um, my partner had a job that, you know, in New York. So we, we moved for that. That was a big one. Um, but another part of it was, you know, I also work in music and everything in music happens in New York or LA, um, but mostly New York. And I just figured, you know, if I'm working in music and I, you know, I want to meet more people and network more and, you know, have more opportunities down the line, I thought it would be good to get my foot in the door now. So it kind of just all fell into place and it, it made sense. I was at a time where I was like, okay, well, you know, we have the money, we have the resources. I want to broaden my network a bit, meet more people, go to more shows kind of thing. So I was like, you know, we pulled the trigger and now we're here. 
So that was probably much to your employer's benefit that you were able to make this leap then. Yes, yeah, she kind of pushed me. My boss kind of pushed me to, to, to move. She thought it was a good idea. And obviously we have a lot of clients and work out here. So it, it helps to have someone on the ground, you know, being able to facilitate that stuff. So how long have you been in New York now? Oh my gosh. Uh, like two, three months. Like it's okay. still very fresh. Yeah, yeah. I'm still settling in. Uh, so if your, your first blush kind of, um, comparison, how, how would you rank like maybe the scale of like the Chicago scene and what's available that makes its way through Chicago versus what New York appears to be already to you in your, uh, uh now two months there? Yeah. Um, I would say obviously you have more like every band or DJ is coming through New York. So I think you have more options, you know, uh, you know, right at the top. And so like, I can go to a show every night if I wanted to, which I don't do. <laughs> I can't do that anymore. Um, I don't do that, but I will say about Chicago, I do, I already do miss like the, the community and like the Chicago sound and like the really tight knit um, community of people and like the shows they threw. And obviously there's a lot of choices of music at Chicago too. Um, and I, I like that there's not too many options. Like there's only a certain amount of venues you can go to, but like that helps you decide what you want to do. Whereas in New York, I think there are too many choices and like kind of can be paralyzing in a way or like, I don't know what to do. So maybe I just won't do anything at all. It's just too much. So yeah, well, I have access to more things. I kind of do this similar, like curated or like, you know, kind of more smaller scale scope of Chicago and, you know, Chicago has a sound and I, you know, I think I'll always, you know, love that and miss that. But yeah. It's interesting how you like the, the the paradox of choice. Like, where where do you begin your day, and then how do you begin to even sort uh, that out? How how exactly. difficult that may be. Yeah, you're right. Like the learning curve of just now having to know, like you you knew where certain things would uh, grow in Chicago. Now you have this, you know, Terra Nova. You know where you need to kind of like find new land in uh, uh, in uh, in New York. How? Yes. Exciting but intimidating at the same time, for sure. Yeah, it's it's wild. I'm still getting used to all of it. Ideally, where do you th where do you think you see yourself? Maybe in like in five ten years. Five ten years. Um, I'm not quite sure yet. I, you know, could see myself doing publicity still and like moving up. I could also see myself trying something else, like getting into like. Um, project management at a label or like artist management at a label. I like, I really do like the connection with the artists and having that kind of close communication with like creatives. I, I find that really fulfilling. So maybe something more like that, but you know, I do think I will still be in music. It's kind of all I know at this point, which is good and bad, but you know, it's, it's nice to be, you know, like you were talking about when I was in high school, it's like, was I was the really annoying kid talking about music all the time and I'm glad I could make a job out of it and you know like a life out of it I, I don't take it for granted yeah and no I didn't say you were the annoying kid I love <laughs> I loved it I, I appreciate that I know some people found it very boring <laughs> but you know what, what can you do you got to be yourself uh, although I do remember one suggestion like oh turnbow you gotta listen to this band called the drums I'm like okay and then I listen I'm like well, I don't know about that 
Exactly. Exactly. You know, and you, but I love, but I love that you were pushing me to find like new music. That's it's always because you, you know, you do get in these kind of ruts, you know, as a even as a consumer of music, where you just have to like kind of like say like, well, I've listened to that album four times in a row. It's time to like kind of move on to something else. Yeah, and I'm the same way too. Like even when I work in music, I still get into musical ruts. So it's always like nice to be able to like push myself and be like, okay, like what have I not listened to? Like what's a new genre or like. A genre I don't know that well, and like really just doing the work. I mean, it can be kind of homework, but it can be fulfilling too. You, you're going to be. I'm sure this has happened to you already in your time in Chicago, and and this is going to happen while you're in New York as well. Mm-hmm. But like, have you seen the 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 growth of a particular genre or subgenre? Where like, wait, no one's doing this, and then all of a sudden this band is doing it and then someone else is kind of gleaning off of that style and all of a sudden you have like three, four or five different bands that are all kind of turning into their own sound. Uh, I was wondering if like in your observation, what's yeah. what's one of those cycles that you've lived through? Well, I think a big one, the first one that comes to mind is like ambient music, which might not be, you know, I don't think it's like a very popular per se with most people, but I think coming out of the pandemic, life slowed down a lot for people and people were looking for music that was very like quiet and you know music to chill out to kind of tune out things and i think since we've moved out of out of the pandemic more people are like listening to ambient music and like uh, people that didn't care about it are now like listening to it and i think like my i think the biggest example that comes to mind now is that you know andre 3000 from outcast had just put out his like solo album years in the making decades in the making if you will and it's like a solo flute ambient album which is crazy to me and now like people are talking about it and like music from that album is like on the billboard you know 100 which would have never happened you know years ago so i think that's one i've seen kind of you know and my time in music is like people listening to more abstract stuff and how it's kind of entering the mainstream in a way which is exciting um yeah it's it's cool so what's a typical day like for you like how do you i I just because it doesn't seem like you know some people live a nine to five job and they're like okay i know that i'm gonna open up my email i'm gonna check it then i'm gonna you know go through these reports and all that yeah i think there's like how organizing your day has to be like kind of reining in. There's just so many different things that you have to pull together and then be productive. How how do you, how do you begin to sort out things that are now coming across your desk? And then you have to go out and find these things. Mm -hmm. What's a typical day? How would you chunk out your schedule? Is it day to week to month? How how does that whole layout? Cause you did say that you have, albums that come uh, across really like, all right we know that we have a year out before we have to kind of figure that uh how to kind of uh approach that how does how does how do you organize your time yeah i mean it's something i'm still learning and getting better at um it can be hard um because again i do have to think um like large scale and you know far in advance but i also have to think you know monthly weekly day to day almost minute to minute sometimes um but you know it's not as glamorous as people might think, you know, being a publicist, but my job is mostly emails. So, you know, first things first, I get to work, open up my inbox, see what fires I have to put out as soon as I get in. 
And then after that, it's, it's, um, you know, strategizing like, okay, um, this band has a single coming out next week. Like I need to hit people on that now or like this band's albums coming out next month. I need to make sure people are considering it for an album review or like trying to lock in some features last minute. Um, so I'm constantly juggling like things that need to happen today, but also things that need to happen in a couple weeks and also managing things I'm going to start working on in a few months. So there's not like, I would say no day is the same, but it all revolves around email and, you know, communicating with artists and their managers, labels. And then sometimes after a full day of that, I have to go to a show or like meet a client for dinner or like meet, uh, meet up with a band that I want to work with and kind of like, you know, pitch myself to them and be like, Hey, this is why I want to work with you and what I think I can do kind of thing. And so, yeah, I would say that it's, it's not a typical nine to five, you know, it, it bleeds over into like some, some nights I'm out late or like, you know, some days I have to get up earlier because I have an announcement and then, uh, or like on weekends I'm going to shows. It's like, I'm not always working, but I am often, you know, oftentimes working. You have to develop so many different relationships with so many different types of people. This is fascinating because like you have to have a certain maybe pair of gloves when you're dealing with the artists Mm -hmm. Then you have to deal with maybe their management, but then you have to then deal with maybe the other writers and the publications that you want to put the spotlight uh, on them. What, how do you how do you negotiate all the various different kind of uh, kind of personas that you have to take to kind of engage and cooperate with to make all of this happen? Yeah, um, I guess it's something I'm still learning. There's not like a right or wrong answer. It's more just like learning to being able to adapt um, quickly, you know, to certain situations. Like if I'm talking with an artist, you know, I'll you know, I'll, I'm usually trying to be more understanding um, you know, cause creatives, they can be kind of like, you know, not always thinking about the business stuff, which is not their job for the most part If mm-hmm. they're hiring like press or like a manager or, you know, like that's our job. And like, they're the ones that can kind of have their heads in the clouds. And, you know, and I think we all benefit from having a allow- allowing people to do that. But sometimes I have to be a little more like, I have to be nice, but like, diplomatic with these artists being like you know like that idea doesn't make sense and i can tell you why but like let's see what we can do so like when i'm talking with an artist i'll you know i'll try and make that but if i'm talking with like a writer i sometimes got to be like firm and be like hey look like you have to write about this band like if you don't i don't you know like we got to make it happen so it's definitely you adapt and you learn you put on different hats you put on different voices for when that you know when that moment calls and I wouldn't say there's like a right or wrong answer. It's kind of like what works with works for you and like your communication style. And again, it's something you're always working on. Um, and Ooh, large yeah. And like, even like my boss who's been doing PR for like, you know, 20, 30 years, like she is constantly having to like change how she approaches things and people. And, you know, I, it's keeps it exciting in that sense that like, you know, no day is the same. No conversation is the same. You, you're always learning something new um, or trying something different. This has been so great, uh, Ahmad. And I, I always like finishing the interview with tips for success for current Wildcats. What do you, What would you tell them? 
I think for anything you want to, I mean, if you have an interest in something and like you want to, you know, make a job out of it, I would just, you know, keep yourself immersed in it, you know, find ways to learn more about it, um, whatever that means. And, you know, I don't think it's, you know, if there's any way you can start networking and like finding like-minded people or people that can help you, I think it's really important to keep those, you know, relationships going and alive and, you know, putting yourself out there. It, it can be difficult. And, you know, I would call myself, you know, I'm an extrovert, but I, you know, I'm also introverted and can be shy, but like, you know, just like, if you know, it's what you want to do, you know, put yourself out there and you'd be surprised, you know, of what comes of it and, you know, where it can take you. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen that happen so much where you would be just surprised by how, how many people do want to help other people, especially when they're trying to, when they're genuinely want to learn, you know? Yeah. There's so many doors that are open. I've, I've come across that a lot. Yeah. I would say like, if you know, if you want to learn more about an industry that you're interested in, um, if you email people within that industry, a lot of them, you'd be surprised. A lot of them are totally would love to take five or 10 minutes, you know, hop on the phone or grab a coffee and you can ask some questions. Um, I've found that a lot of people like talking about themselves, so, you know, take advantage of that. I mean, people love to discuss, you know, what they've done, how they did it. And um, it can really be a benefit to people trying to learn what they want to do. And, you know, if you're undecided, just trying to get a little more insight of what interests you. Well, Ahmad, this has been so fascinating. You were doing like, like, <laughs> beep, beep, <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like, such great work. I, again, I, I before we started interviewing, I uh, was commenting about how I couldn't have imagined a more perfect job for what aligned your interests when you, I knew you as a student. And <laughs> when I saw this, I, I was like, yes, this is good. This is great. So, thank <laughs> yeah, you so I mean, much for uh, spending time this Friday uh, and, uh, and, and, and teaching us all about your amazing job. Thank you. Yeah. And of course, if anybody is interested in learning more about music, you can send them my way. You know, I'm happy to take any questions or, you know, providing more information. I'm happy to help however I can. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Do us a favor and spread the word about We Go Places by sharing our interviews with other Wildcats. If you want to search past episodes or stay current, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere where you can get your podcasts. Just search We Go Places. You can follow We Go Places on our Facebook page as well, and also Twitter at We Go Places Podcast. And if you know a former Wildcat who would be a great guest, send me a direct message on Facebook, Twitter, or by school email at, at bturnbow at d94.org. B-T-U-R-N-B-A-U-G-H at d94.org. 